ladies and gentlemen. The story you are about to see is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. If today's episode of No Home for Heroes, the mysterious case of Passenger 53, were an episode of the old TV series Dragnet, like our intro theme music today, it would probably go something like this. It was Wednesday, June 13, 2012. Another perfect day in Honolulu, with no wind and passing clouds, with 77% humidity. I was working the day watch, because we all work the day watch, out of the World War II Research and Investigations Branch. My little cubicle was near the same spot where a Japanese Zero had crashed during the attack on Pearl Harbor. Now, it was near the water treatment plant on the backside of Hickam Field, a sign of the perceived importance of our work at the Joint POW-MIA Accounting Command, or JPAC. Not much has changed here since World War II. Instead of pencils, we have ballpoint pens. Instead of typewriters, we have word processors. That's about it. But there's one thing that never changes at JPAC. The lack of management interest to do anything for the families of American heroes missing in action. The frustration just gets bigger and badder and uglier every day. It's 0813 hours. The O stands for, oh my God, it's early. And I am evidently the only person on duty and awake here at JPAC when the Navy clerk in the front office forwards a call to me from Alaska. A call that would change the lives of dozens of families of missing American heroes. The boss is Dr. G. My name's Stone. Rick Stone, and I'm your host, bringing you another great and true story from our vault of history's military mysteries. <laughs> so, let's now switch out of our dragnet voice and tell this true story of what I dubbed Passenger 53, a man who was not officially on the flight manifest of an airplane that contained only 52 passengers and crew. Lieutenant Colonel Christopher Nall at Elmendorf Air Force Base, Alaska, wanted to report the discovery of a possible crash site, a very old crash site. Members of the Alaska National Guard found an apparent crash site, crash site four days earlier before my call near Mount Gannett on the Colony Glacier about 30 miles east-northeast of Elmendorf, right outside Anchorage, Alaska. Members of the Alaska National Guard found debris which was primarily personal effects. Specifically, they found a dog tag for Captain Kenneth J. Duval, a leather fight dog, two packs of camel cigarettes, and an aircraft access cover. And, and here's the clincher, a member of the Alaska National Guard reported that he, quote, thought he saw human remains, end quote. Hearing this, very important clue, I alerted the entire World War II branch to begin researching aircraft crashes in this area to obtain some basic information on a priority basis. 
Within minutes, we correlated Captain Duval's dog tags to a missing in action, unresolved casualty listed in the intelligence directorate's records as the pilot of a C-124A Globemaster when it crashed on 22 November 1952. Naturally, four years before, in 2008, JPAC had received an inquiry from a citizen regarding this exact crash, and a file was opened and a JPAC incident number was assigned, but, as usual, nothing further of any significance had been done by JPAC to investigate the crash. What we did know was that none of the 52 casualties reported on board the Globemaster were recovered, and therefore all 52 individuals on board were officially unresolved. Of even more mystery, the location of the crash site on Colony Glacier provided by Lieutenant Colonel Nall was determined to be approximately 14 miles from where the plane was reported by the Air Force to have been found shortly after the crash in 1952. The wreck was quickly declared unsalvageable in 1952 as it had been buried under an avalanche and no bodies were recovered. In the late afternoon of 13 June 2012, Lieutenant Colonel Nall called me again and he had this following information from the site team's report. Search and rescue team completed a thorough search today and reported, quote, variable, end quote, conditions, meaning some areas were amenable to recovery operations and some were not due to ice and snow. The debris field was estimated at 200 meters by 800 meters. That's a quarter of a mile by a half a mile. The site is located one-fourth to one-half mile from the edge of a glacier. Presence of human remains were verified and recovered one military ID card from the site. In the afternoon of the next day, 14 June 2012, I received photographs of the dog tag of the pilot, Captain Duval, and a military ID card belonging to Private Gene Reif. And there, the mysterious case of Passenger 53 began. Private Gene Reif was not listed on the flight manifest of the Globemaster when it took off from McCord Air Force Base in Tacoma, Washington at 15.30 hours for a projected 7-hour and 3-minute flight to Elmendorf Air Force Base in Anchorage, Alaska. The C-124A Globemaster was the largest cargo plane in the American Air Fleet at the time. It was used extensively to transport nuclear weapons and was designed to transport a tank, a bulldozer, or 200 soldiers. On this particular flight on 22 November 1952, there was about 30,000 pounds of cargo, that's, you know, 15 tons, that was not listed on the manifest. Oh, by the way, the Mark 8 nuclear bombs in that era weighed about 3,300 pounds apiece. Do the math. And to make matters even more mysterious, this was not just a flight containing normal American service members. The co-pilot was reportedly a relative of who was to become Vice President Dick Cheney. 
There was also the husband of a famous actress, Penny Singleton, on board as a passenger. You may remember her as the wife of Dagwood in the old Blondie movies. Or, for your younger set, the voice of Jane Jetson in the Jetson cartoon series. But the one name that really caught my eye was Colonel Eugene Smith. Colonel Smith was famous in law enforcement circles as an Air Force intelligence investigator who helped solve the famous Hess Crown Jewelry theft case pertaining to the looting of stolen German treasures at the end of World War II. The treasure included packets of rings, coins, tiaras, necklaces, loose diamonds, and other jewels which were estimated to be worth some $2.5 million in 1945. Oh, in case you're wondering, that's roughly $312 million today. Only $1 million worth of jewels was recovered in 1945, and the $2.5 million total, half of that is still missing. Even though the case is considered closed, that little clue that over half of the jewels are still missing and have never been recovered is something to think about. Well, on the other end of the spectrum from these famous and semi-famous people was Private Gene Reif. He was about as non-famous as you could get, and he was not supposed to be on the flight, despite the almost undamaged plastic identification card being the first thing found in the wreckage by the Alaska National Guard in 2012. My investigation revealed that Private Rife was one of 16 children of Carl and Alta Mae Rife from Ohio. Gene had a ninth grade education when he joined the United States Army on 10 April 1952. He was assigned the rank of private. Private Rife was discharged from the Army officially on 1 April 1954, never attaining any other rank other than private. Private Rife died of natural causes at age 77 in a nursing home in Covington, Kentucky at well, about 9.10 in the morning on 19 November 2004. No autopsy was performed. He was never married, and today Private Rife is buried in Greenwood Cemetery in Hamilton, Ohio. A little further digging found that Private Rife's military ID card was issued on 8 September 1952, that same ID card that had been found at the crash site in 2012. Now that was only a little more than three months before the crash. The ID card listed Private Rife's height as 69 inches and his hair color, I'm sorry, his eye color as gray. Interestingly, when Gene registered from the draft, the World War II draft, on 26 December 1944, his draft registration card noted that he was 71 inches tall with hazel eyes. Hmm. Gene shrank two inches in eight years. And his eye color changed? Typos, maybe? Clerical mistakes? Hmm. All of Private Rife's siblings and and parents are now deceased. There's no evidence that Army Private Rife would have been on an Air Force military transport plane during the three-month interval between when his card was issued 
and the airplane crashed on the Alaskan glacier. As an epilogue to the story, since that June morning in 2012 when I took the call, I was able to somehow beg and plead or coerce the JPAC command in the sending recovery mission to the glacier. And the Air Force, after JPAC was disbanded due to media attention directed towards its management incompetence, the Air Force has done the same annually sending a recovery mission. To date, 44 of the flight's officially listed 52 passengers and crew have been recovered and identified by the Armed Forces DNA Identification Laboratory. Why or how the military ID card of Private Rife was at the crash site remains unknown. The mysterious presence of Private Gene Rife's identification card at the crash site has never been explained. Was there someone else on that Globemaster using Private Rife's ID card? If the Air Force ever does recover a 53rd set of remains, then we really will have one of the greatest of all of history's military mysteries that maybe only the late, great Jack Webb from Dragnet could solve. Thank you for listening to this episode of No Home for Heroes. We hope you've enjoyed today's production, and we invite you to check out all of our other episodes on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you like to listen to podcasts. No Home for Heroes is featured on just about any podcast site across the world. We greatly appreciate your comments, and a special link is available for you to contact us on our website at www.chiefrickstone.com. We again thank you for your support of our mission to provide information to the families of missing American servicemen and missing American servicewomen. Every assistance counts, and you do make a difference. Until next time, be careful, be safe, and wishing you fair winds and following seas. I'm your host, Rick Stone, reminding you that poor is the nation that has no heroes. But shameful is the nation that having heroes forgets them.